So this morning, we're going to be talking about keeping the main thing, the main thing. What is the main thing? Well, we believe that the main thing is the gospel. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is the main thing for us. We're going to start out this morning. If you brought your Bibles with you, um, you can go ahead and turn to Mark. That's where we're going to be starting off our journey this morning. Be in Mark chapter 1, right in the very beginning. So we're going to read three separate verses here, then kind of go in. But in Mark 1, he starts off, he says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now jump ahead to verse 14. It says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, I believe that the main thing that we're to keep before us is the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. For those of you who don't know, the gospel literally translates to good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our life. God's gracious offer to set us free from our sin and give us a whole new victorious life in Christ. That is the good news. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came not to get rid of your old life, but to give you a new life. A new life. If you're following along in your outline this morning, we're going to go ahead and get you started with your first point. Is God proved that he had sent Jesus. God proved that he had sent Jesus. Now, you can find this all over in the Bible, but we're going to jump to Acts chapter 2. So it's going to make a little bit of a right in your Bible there if you're following along. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it reads, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. In other words, he says that, God publicly endorsed, endorsed Jesus of Nazarene through the miracles, signs, and wonders. Through the miracles, signs, and wonders is how God endorsed him and proved publicly that he was the son of God. In Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrated. In other words, God proved his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, there's two things that I believe that you can really measure true love through. The first one of those is how undeserving the recipient is. And the second one that you measure it through is how much it cost. So if we read that verse again in Romans 5, 8, it says, while we were still sinners, in other words, why we didn't deserve it, Christ came and died for us. In other words, he gave it all. What a great love that is. How undeserving we were. And yet he gave it all on the cross for us. The great preacher Spurgeon, many of you are probably familiar with Spurgeon. He says, I'll give you the gospel in four words. Christ died for us. Christ died for us, the gospel message in a nutshell. 
in a nutshell. See, Jesus' miracles were proof of his divinity. And if you're following along, that's your, that's your next point. Jesus' miracles were proof of his divinity. In other words, of his divine nature, it was proof that he was the son of God. See, when Jesus opened blind eyes, when he commanded the waves to be stilled, when he called Lazarus from the grave, he proved that God sent him. What about today? What about today? How does he prove that today? When Jesus heals somebody? John, when, when Jesus frees you from addiction? Myself. When he frees you from the hurt in your life? from the bondage, from the chains that you've been trapped in all your life, when he moves today in the church, he proves that he is the son of God. See, I know from my own experience, at least it, it wasn't me. I did it my way for far too long. It's when I encountered Jesus Christ that my life changed. And it proved to me somebody who at one point was pretty much a blasphemer. I didn't believe in the Bible at all. I didn't believe in church. I didn't believe in any of it. But when you have a head-on encounter with Jesus Christ and all of a sudden you're free from addiction, from the hurt and the bondage in your life, you're sitting back going, man, who is this guy? Who is this? What is this message that he's got for me? And I didn't understand the message that he had for me. And I was lost, man. I tell you, I was. I'm like, how did this happen? Because after 20 years of battling with methamphetamines, all of a sudden I was done. Done. No withdrawals, no come down, no desire, no addiction, no anything. One day addicted, next day clean, done. Who else can do that? Yeah, I mean, come on. That's, a, that's the power of God today in the church that he proves that he is alive today in our church. It's not something I could have done on my own. I tried to clean up many a times and I know that there's a long come down involved. And there was nothing. So I got in my Bible and I began to read the message that he had for me. And I, and I began to found out that the message that was in that Bible wasn't the Jesus that I heard about my whole life. My whole life, I grew up believing that there was some great big guy on a clouds with a lightning bolt getting ready to strike me down every time I did something wrong. I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't understand the good news that Jesus Christ had for me. By the way, there, there's no greater miracle than salvation. There isn't. I get excited when I see people that are healed from physical ailments. I do. I've seen cancer healed. I've seen other things healed, addiction healed. But what I live for is to see people come to Christ and to see them get saved. That is the heartbeat of our church, is to lead people to Christ so that they can have the life that he's got a hold of for them. Seven and a half years ago, when CFC One Voice started, so for those of you who don't know, CFC One Voice is our larger parent church. We're out of Idaho. We have five campuses all together, four in Idaho and now one in California. We came here because our pastor, Pastor Monty, graduated high school here, grew up here, always wanted to plant a church here. I just managed to fit in the picture somehow, but yeah, that's a, another story for another day. But seven and a half years ago when CFC first started, it was in a smaller, older building that had been built in the 70s with attendance running between three and 400 people. Today, there are over 4,000 people that call CFC their home seven and a half years later. 
by a rough estimate, 50% of those people are new converts. In other words, people who have never known Jesus Christ, who have never known the gospel message. Seven and a half years, we've literally seen thousands of people come to know the Lord, and I can't tell you how many lives we've seen changed. In the two and a half years that I've been with the church, I can't tell you how many lives I've seen changed, how many people I've seen baptized, how many families I've seen get back together. It's a great thing to witness. That's what I live for. That's the heartbeat of our church. See, we believe that our job is to love the hell out of people, literally love the hell out of them. We don't beat people up. We love people in. We don't want to be known for what we're against. We want to be known for what we're for, for Jesus, for the gospel, for the good news. Because I don't care what you think you might know, whether you look at somebody else and the sin in their life, whether they're, maybe they've cheated on their wife, maybe they're a liar, maybe they're addicted. Maybe they live a homosexual lifestyle to look at them and feel like somehow you're different than they are. See, God's eyes, sin is sin. No sin is greater than any other sin except for blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us plain and clearly that we're all sinners. Christ died for us while we were sinners. That we all fall short of the glory of God. There's not one of us sitting in this room right now that can say that they haven't sinned in their life. We want to love people in, not beat people up. See, we love them in. We bring them in through those doors. We get them to come in here. Then the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin. That's not my job. It's not your job. It's his job. We want to go out there and show people the good news the good news of new life in Jesus Christ. Your gospel point number two is that God delivered Jesus to death. Delivered him to death. In Acts 2.23, we're going to keep reading there. It says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. In other words, it says God knew what was going to happen. His predetermined plan came to fulfillment when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. What great love is that? I only have one child. I tell you, if I was faced with that decision, I don't know that I can make the same decision. Give up my only child, my only begotten child for the sake of everybody else. As a father, I know my heartstrings, that would be tough. I don't know that I could do it. I try every day to have the kind of love that Jesus had. But I know I'll never reach it because if I was ever faced with that decision, I don't think I could. See, the Father deemed Jesus worthy of his most important mission to serve as a sacrifice to redeem mankind. Not just anyone could do this. I mean, how could a sinner die for a sinner? What good would it be? What good would it be? I want to look at some of the most incredible scripture found in God's word. Turn first to the book of Isaiah. You're going to make a big left back into the Old Testament. Isaiah 
going to be reading out of chapter 53, starting in verse 4. For those of you who aren't that familiar with the Bible, these chapters right here in Isaiah contain a lot of what they call messianic prophecies, where he prophesied about the coming of Jesus Christ. So starting in verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our inequities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Go ahead and jump all the way to the back of the book. We're going to jump into Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, you being Jesus, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And we shall reign on the earth. Jump forward just a couple chapters to Revelation chapter 12. For those of you who are new, I encourage writing in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, would love to put one in your hands. Come and talk to us after service. But uh, feel free to write in your Bible. It really does, really does help. So Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a garland of 12 stars. Of 12 stars. Now we're going to jump back a little bit to the book of John. be in John uh, chapter 1, verse 29. As the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For those of you who don't know, Jesus was referred to constantly as the Lamb of God, but it was first here done by John when he seen him coming. The Lamb of God, whose blood would be slain for all of us. For all of us. How many are grateful that as the hands of Jesus opened up to be nailed to the cross, that all of heaven was opened up for us forever? Forever. Nothing more stood in our way. When he hung on that cross, he said, It is finished. It is finished. The Father bestowed the badge of honor on the only one worthy to secure our salvation. That's your fill in the blank. The Father bestowed the badge of honor on the only one worthy to secure our salvation through his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. See, salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and that is the gospel message. That is the good news. 
that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The life. Gospel point number three is God the Father set Jesus free from death and raised him to life. Set Jesus free from death and raised him to life. I'm going to continue reading out of Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. It says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. See, deep in that borrowed grave, behind that stone, when nobody could see, when nobody could witness, is when God did his greatest work and brought death to life. Some of the greatest miracles in our life aren't done in front of a crowd of people. They're done in the privacy of our own life. In our darkest moments, behind closed doors, with the rest of the world shut out, is when God comes to us and does his greatest work. See, he spoke to the dead body of his incarnate son, and he got up from the dead. God's desire is to speak to every dead area of your life. When the hells of demons and the heavens and angels watching, God called on the Rose of Sharon to lift up his head. He called on the lion of the tribe of Judah to stretch out his nail-pierced hands. He called the bright morning star to shine forth. He called the Alpha and the Omega to be the beginning and the end the beginning of life and the end of death, the Alpha and the Omega. For those of you who may seem to be overcome by all the hell that's maybe in your life, I just want to say today that there's a chance in him, there's more than a chance to be freed fill in the blank is what hell thought was his greatest victory God turned into its greatest defeat I know sometimes in my life when, it, when I thought that everything was weighing down on me and the whole world was crashing down that God used that time in my life to do something wonderful how easy it is for me to look back now at all those years in my life when I was trapped in darkness and to see where I am now and to be able to see that God did a great work in my life. That he raised me from dead to life, from spiritual death to life. When Jesus brings us out of death and into life, he brings us armed and dangerous, armed and dangerous. Turn with me to Revelations chapter 1 real quick. It's all the way to the back again. We're reading in verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. I am, the great I am, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. 
and I have the keys of Hades and of death. For those of you who don't know, Hades was the old term for hell. It was the old term for hell. Jesus says that I was dead and now I am alive forever and I hold the keys of death and hell. See the keys, you think about what a key is. A key is an instrument that we use to gain access. That we use to gain access. And it says that he was brought forth with the keys to both heaven and hell. See in the Old Testament, the holder of the keys was the one who was able to give you access into, into the house of God. In late Judaism, the key is an imagery that was extended to angelic beings and to God, that they held the keys to both heaven and hell. See, the mistake of the Pharisees back then is that they believed that they were the ones that held the keys to heaven and hell. That's not what the Bible tells us tells us that he came with the keys to heaven and hell. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said to Peter, on this rock, on this rock, I will build my church. Hell won't overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. On this rock, he said, the rock wasn't Peter, Peter wasn't the rock like some people might lead you to believe. It was his confession of his faith that Jesus Christ was the son of God, that the rock, that's the rock that he would build his church on. On the gospel message, on the good news that Jesus Christ came to give us life. It had nothing to do with Peter as a person individually. There were many who believed after that that it was the apostles that were the ones that held the keys. It's not what the Bible tells us. It's very clear. You're not just free, you hold the keys to freedom. You're not just alive, you hold the keys to life. You just don't overcome. You overcame with the keys, the keys of life. See, Jesus never preached the gospel of salvation without new power to send people into new life. Not once did he ever preach the gospel without bringing new life into somebody. Perhaps the greatest example of this in the gospel is a woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight. It's one of my favorite stories because it really says so much and, and we all know there's a little controversy surrounding those words in the Bible, but the message there is pretty clear. The message there is pretty clear. In John chapter eight, starting in verse 11. So I'm gonna go back just a little bit. I'm gonna go ahead and start in verse one. I'm gonna give you the whole story. He says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came up again into the temple when all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought him to a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? 
But what do you say? See, they were testing Jesus. They were always trying to catch him in a situation that they thought he couldn't get out of. But it says here, it says that, then they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. There's so many people that want to know what he wrote on the ground. <laughs> you could preach sermons and sermons on what he may have wrote in the ground. Like according to the law, where were those men? See, the man should have been brought forward as well, but they didn't bring the man. They only brought the woman. Or maybe he stooped down and he wrote in there the, the sins of those who came to him. Or maybe he wanted to know how they knew she was caught in the act of adultery. How did they know? Were they peeping? Were they somewhere they shouldn't have been? What was their sin? So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it began being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I. I, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus just didn't free her. He didn't just say, you're free to go. He said, go and sin no more. He gave her the power to new life. That she didn't have to live that lifestyle anymore. That her sins were not only forgiven, but she had the power to have new life through Jesus Christ. Through the gospel message. Through the gospel. He used these words as he did, go and sin no more. The statement wasn't to focus on the sin that she had committed in the past, but an invitation to a new life of freedom. You're free, he said. You're free. Can you see why the gospel is such good news? Jesus didn't just die. He died with a purpose. With a purpose. He rose with a purpose. Jesus Christ had a mission that he never once walked away from. Even when his closest friends and critics tried to dissuade him, his mission guided his decisions and his values. He didn't let other people steer his direction. He didn't let other people guide his life. He came with a purpose and he knew his purpose. Even when nobody was there for him, he continued on that path. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Luke 19.10, the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. One of my classes that I love to teach, I talk about how this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus uses three parables in a row, in a row when he talks about seeking and saving the lost. How important was his message? 
people need to know that they don't have to stay lost, that Jesus can show them the way. They don't have to stay dead, but that Jesus is offered new life to all who would come. They don't have to stay bound, but that Jesus offers a key to every trial that we face. As I said earlier, I really believe that there's somebody in here today who's facing a trial in their life that they feel like that they can't get out of. The gospel message is that Jesus rose with the keys to free you from those chains that bind you, to set you free, not only from your sin, but to give you new life in Christ. A new life in Christ. This is the gospel. It is the good news that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, that the offer still stands. I know for one, I'm so grateful for that offer in my life. Gospel. Now, I may have read this somewhere. I'm not really sure. I don't know if I came up with it or what, but when I look at gospel, I always try to think something. Is God's offered salvation promises eternal life. That's the gospel message in a nutshell. He came and died for us. The main thing for the Christian must be the gospel, and the main thing for the church must be getting the gospel out. That's your last fill in the blank if you're following along. The main thing for the Christian must be the gospel, and the main thing for the church must be getting the gospel out. This is a church needs to be our focus. People don't need to be judged. They don't need to be condemned. They need to be loved, and they need to be loved in. As we've said before, I know that many people here have come from other churches. I know that there are some of you here today that are visiting from other churches. But our message is loud and clear, and I've told it to every other pastor in this town. We're not here for sheep. We're not here to steal people from other churches. We're here to seek the lost so that they can know the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ can give them new life, that Jesus Christ can free them from the chains that bind them, whether it be addiction, whether it be pornography, when no matter what it is, there's new life in Christ. There's new life in Christ.